it's a matter of nurturing that and making sure that when you help them in making a decision, you explain why, how the decision was made. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am your host, Emmy Kirshner, and I am so super excited because today's guest has done the thing that I've been saying I was going to do, except that I have absolutely no tech experience, and it's something that everybody needs. So Jeroen Korthout is the co-founder and CEO of Salesflare, an intelligent CRM built for SMBs selling to business to business. Most popular with agencies and fast-growing startup companies, but listen, if you have a business, you need a CRM to manage your leads and track sales, etc. So this is, I've been on the website, I downloaded the white pages, I am in love with Salesflare, and it's an incredible opportunity for you to save a ton of time. So welcome to the show. Share with us a little bit about who you are and what made you decide to start Salesflare. Yeah, very short. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Salesflare, of course. I started Salesflare seven and a half years ago, I think. Okay. I've been doing lots of other stuff before that. Actually, I'm a Belgian and American. I was born in the US, but my parents are Belgian. I live in Belgium in Antwerp. Is you're interested, uh, it's a lovely city, second biggest one of Belgium, a bit closer to the Netherlands. By education, I'm a biomedical engineer, so nothing to do with CRMs at all. <laughs> I spent the beginning of my career in something totally different again in pharma marketing, and now I'm building a software company, so it's, it's different. Uh, but it all somehow ties together. I actually started with building websites when I was a teenager and then went into engineering, first thinking that would help me to build a web agency, but then figuring that I actually wanted to do something with medical things. And then and then in the end, figuring that I didn't really want to do engineering. I wanted to create stuff with people and not in some back room or something. So then mm-hmm. I did business school and then I ended up in marketing because that was more like creating value with people. And then that was kind of boring. So I switched to consulting pharma companies and doing their digital marketing sales and CRM. And then I uh, started a few software companies of which none were successful or got anywhere. And then actually ran into a problem I had been facing for a very long time. And that was with CRM. I had been using a huge incumbent 
for four years in my previous job. I never really understood how it would work, but somehow everybody was frustrated by it, but accepted the status quo. If you would ask someone, even when we started Salesforce, I did a lot of customer interviews, like, how can we solve this? Why does nobody use the CRM? People would say things like, well, you know, it's just the software as good as it can be. It's really the salespeople. They are lazy. So our solution is to make their bonus dependent on it, fire them or whatever. We'll force them to fill out the CRM. And I always felt there was something off, particularly because... I would see the difference between a CRM system we would use and an app I would voluntarily use on my phone, uh, like for a task list or so. And I would feel like there's a big difference here Mm -hmm. in usability. And then secondly, what you would see also in the more consumer space is that all of the apps you would use regularly, you would almost have no work. You don't have to do anything to keep them alive. While these CRMs put up these huge expectations of all the work you were going to do to make it work. And I just didn't feel like that was a human thing. Like like you would ever convince a human being willingly to work with a CRM. Now, over time, I've met a few of these weird people that actually would do it willingly, but most people would never really get far with it because it's a huge amount of work. It's difficult to use. And then in the end, it doesn't really help you either. The only thing it actually feeds is your manager's reporting and them looking over your shoulder. So that's also scary. So you'd rather stay away from that. Yeah. But then we actually had a software company and we had a lot of leads and then we needed something to organize ourselves. And that's the promise of CRM that you're going to be able to do your your sales follow-up in a much better way. You're going to be so organized. You'll know exactly what you've discussed with people, when, who they are who you know at a company, what you have running with them, everything. But we didn't manage to keep that alive just because of these huge expectations of us keeping track of everything uh, diligently. We would always start off very excited and keep track of everything. But as soon as things start running, and especially when sales go a bit quicker, you're like, ah, this CRM work, it's, well, I mean, we're selling, right? So you leave it behind. And then your whole sales system starts falling apart. And we saw that happening time after time, and we saw that actually the work that we were supposed to do in a CRM was copying data from some other system. So you email someone, and then you, you take their name and their email address, put it in the CRM. Maybe they sent you an email signature, you copy that in, and maybe they sent a position. You're like copying data all the time from your calendar, from LinkedIn, mm-hmm. from company databases, everywhere. And then we thought like, why does no system do that automatically? Because all of that information is already somewhere. It is available. What if we just pull it together, make sure it's sort of organized, it's surfaced to a salesperson and they can then manage that. But they don't have to start from scratch. They start from what's already there. Much like these consumer applications that I mentioned earlier, all do because they don't expect that you have artists superhuman who will will um, do everything perfectly. So that's what we started on uh, seven and a half years ago, what we're still doing. Of course, we're, we're going uh, beyond that nowadays, automating more than just the data, but it's still the essence of what we're doing. So at what point were you like, yeah, I'm going to grow a tech company? And really, I mean, it's a SaaS company, the software as a service. At like, what point? Yeah, like, because that's a shift a little bit. And yet, like I've talked about it, and I have no tech background. And like someday when I have time, I'm going to create this thing because I, I CRMs are like the bane of my existence. Mm-hmm. 
And for all the reasons that you're talking about, like they takes forever. Like I'm spending more time doing data entry than I am selling or managing the lead. And I read somewhere a while ago, it's like 80% of all sales are lost because people don't do the follow-up, but the system doesn't allow you to follow up in a way that at least works for my brain. And so here you are, you know, you've, got all these different experiences and then you're like, all right, I'm going to solve this problem that has been, I'm going to say industry-wide, but just I think business problem in general. And I'm going to create a business doing it and be successful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we're not salesforce.com, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it's going well. I mean, we have a, a lot of happy customers. We're consistently growing. So we're happy. We're hoping to, to solve this for more people. But we're, we're happy of what we got so far as results, I would say. But it wasn't my first try at a software company, at least. I tried a few things before how I was in the medical sector. So the, the first thing I started was a way for doctors to stay up to date with the latest research in a way that they, they don't have to subscribe to all these journals and then have a very narrow view of things and have to pay a lot of money for that in a way rather that they could indicate their interests Mm-hmm. and then get the relevant articles for these topics surfaced. Like, I don't know, what do you know, Flipboard, but sort of like that, mm-hmm. or a feed reader in general. But that failed because basically I was hoping I would, could make it work based on ads, but it's sort of a catch-22. If you don't have the people on there, it's difficult to sell the ads. And, then, and if you don't have the revenue, then it's difficult to spend time on it and it was hard to convince other people to work on it with me. Uh, at some point, somebody did a bit of work. Then I took over, like development-wise, and it didn't go anywhere. I'm not a great developer. Just not being able to have that strong business model just stopped everything in its tracks, I think. I co-founded also um, a company that helped follow up pacemakers for nurses. It was sort of a, a similar idea to Salesforce in a way, in the sense okay. that it's put data from different places and bring it together. It was different pacemaker manufacturers and would bring it together in one dashboard. So nurses had one view instead of five views or something. Uh, so they could more easily follow things up and sort it by priority. And there I started the company base uh, together with a bunch of guys, but I felt like it wasn't really going anywhere. Everything was on a standstill at some point. So I just exited the company. The company nowadays still survives and has raised a lot of millions, but they didn't know it at the time. So, And then actually Salesforce started from another software company, which I joined. My co-founder was building solutions that were complementing IBM software in the field of business intelligence, like uh, crunching data because IBM was not building certain things and then we would build it and sell it to people because they were missing it. That was a good business. But then we just got way more excited about Salesforce. So the other business sort of died uh, in the sidelines. So you have the typical persistence and drive of an entrepreneur who's determined to make it work. Yeah, I like to make things work. (laughs) But it is important that it is on something that you're truly passionate about solving. Mm-hmm. If not, it's, it is hard to keep that persistence, I would say. Yeah, but it sounds like, I mean, throughout your career and your time that you've you've moved from one thing to the next without it being disconcerting and you're really, you're just focused on solving the problem and looking for a better way to do things. 
Yeah, I've always switched to a sort of adjacent field, but not the same. And in the end, then sort of things come together, I would say. It's a bit like Steve Jobs says in his commencement speech there, do what you love, I think. And then, but, but he combines that with, you will only be able to connect the dots looking backwards, not looking forward or something. Like, like you just, just do what you love. And in the end, things will come together in a way that you can't imagine right now, basically. Yeah. And is that how you kind of lead the business? Is, I mean, obviously there's planning and goal set, et cetera, but you're looking at that, how you can grow it from a place of love and looking at different options from finding the things that really light everybody up. Yeah, we are always on a, what can I say, on a journey to find things that both excite us and our customers more. It's really an uphill battle for us against some really big companies out there. So to at least have a place in the market, even we need to really, how can I say, do a much better job because they have much more money to get much more visibility. And we currently mainly grow based on word of mouth mm-hmm. and review sites and, and listings here and there. So it's all sort of earned media or mm-hmm. we cannot outspend them in terms of ads. So we need to make our customers really happy and do something different. Of course, we already focus very much on making CRM work, but that's a very difficult thing to sell because Everybody has uh, their marketing messages on their site. And if you say it, it's not enough. People will see it and think like, well, somebody else is also saying that. So we always work on one, making our product easier. So people much quicker see the value. Two, creating quality stuff in all, well, everywhere, like content. We cannot just churn out something simple. It needs to be much better than what you read elsewhere because that's the only way we're going to be able to get it ranked in Google. And in terms of support, also really focused on on building these relationships with people, real relationships, instead of having this cookie cutter, you're a number type of support, which I'll get at at big companies, which is inescapable for them because they they have a big support team. So it's very difficult to keep that that really personal service. But also by, by doing things indeed that excite us and excite the customers, that is really important. And then next to that, I feel like I'm on a monologue here, but uh, we talked about <laughs> results and habits. Well, results mostly. We actually structure our, our yearly planning as follows. We have certain numeric results like that we would like to work towards because that makes our business more healthy. And so right. this is amount of people we want to convert on a trial. And this is the how long we want them to stay with us. And this is uh, how happy we want them to be and stuff like that. But then this is not super inspiring to look at a number and think, oh, we need to go to that number. Right. It is inspiring uh, in t- for the full year, but on a daily basis, not something that you can look at and, and think, wow, amazing. So what we do is we translate that into more short-term habits in the sense that we say like, okay, we want to reach that. But to do that on a consistent basis, we will do these things. So we will make an improvement to this once a month. We will make an improvement to that every two months. We will deliver so many features. We will deliver so many articles for search engines. We will be visible so many times outside our own audience. And we have a whole list of things that we very consistently keep doing. And that way we stay motivated on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And we always work towards that more long-term, bigger end goal. 
So you really break it down into like bite-sized chunks so that yeah. the whole team can buy into it and take daily action because that's really like it's great to set those big goals, but it's those daily actions, the monthly action that what creates the result. And that yeah, that drives us to these big goals, yeah. Yeah. So that's really incredible and so powerful like so many people set the goal and then don't do anything or get halfway there because they're not consistent in taking those little steps. That's what we would see as well. So it was like one one year we looked back on the year and we figured like, okay, this worked really well and that didn't. Why did we do that and we didn't do that? And then we're like, oh, but this is because we defined what we're going to do on a consistent basis. And this is just because we put a fake goal in front of us. And they were like, oh, so maybe we should still make these numeric results goals but then translate that into things we can do consistently Mm -hmm. and since we've been doing that we see that we actually do the things (laughs) and we actually improve so yeah which is fantastic i want to shift gears a little bit and talk about crms and for those of you who are listening if you don't know what a crm is it's a customer or client relationship management tool and It's really, for. I mean, the way I look at it, so correct me if I'm off a little bit, the way I look at it, it's really a way of managing your leads, people coming into the pipeline. I use it for a number of different things. But let's talk about why people don't use CRM outside of the time, because I think there's a lot of different layers there that people will identify with, because I know many business owners who have their sales team using a spreadsheet because what they've tried in the past has been too complicated, didn't work, nobody followed along. But what's the fundamental problem with all the other CRMs? Yeah, I can talk about the fundamental problem with CRMs. I can also talk about the fundamental problem with teams starting to use a CRM. It has many levels, like you said. Like the fundamental problem with other CRMs, well, most other CRMs, almost all of them, is that they just too much work and too little return for the end user. Like it's great that it maybe helps the company if people consistently work with it and it fuels your reporting and has so many advantages. That's amazing. But if the people filling the system don't get anything directly back as a reward, they're not going to do it. So what we're doing is making sure that the input is very, very minimal, but they still like you create a company, the information is there, the contacts are there, you click a few things, there's the whole timeline. Mm. You just basically drag the opportunity through the pipeline and the rest of the things happen automatically. So the, the sales opportunity, the lead. And then we also make sure that we help as much as possible as a software system to make sure that you don't forget things, that you can organize yourself well. That sales follow-up is very neatly organized. That's what the end user wants because they need something to organize themselves. If the CRM doesn't immediately solve that without a lot of work, they'll head back to their spreadsheets and uh, maybe sometimes they'll get into the CRM and update something so that management gets their reporting, but they'll stay out of it apart from that. And then you lose on a lot of benefits of the CRM. But that software itself, but the issues on the other level are that first, people don't really take a moment even to figure out why they need a CRM. They've heard they need one. So they Google it, they find one or they find a few. They're like, oh, this looks good. And then they try it perhaps, buy it, whatever. But they don't 
take that moment to think like, okay, why do we need it? Is it, is it for us really about a sales follow-up or is it for us to just, which in B2B is usually the case, you know, but then if you're in real estate, perhaps it's about building relationships with people or if you're in a sort of brokerage model, which is real estate partly also, it can be about identifying matches uh, between the two sides. Mm-hmm. If you're in e-commerce, it's about creating repeat sales. There is very different CRM systems for these different use cases. And picking the wrong one for your use case is really painful because you'll never really get the the benefits out of it that you were expecting. Then secondly, especially in B2B sales again, which what we're focused on, so what I usually think about is if your sales team does not use the system, your whole system falls apart, basically. You, You won't get any of the benefits. They need to use it actively and then amazing things happen. But if they don't, then, well, you can also just working with your spreadsheets, I would say. So what I would advise you to do is to involve your sales team. It's a very simple thing. Just make sure that maybe you have a short list of CRMs already. It can make things easier because there's so many out there. There's 700 on g2.com or something. Wow. But you make a little short list, like those are the ones you like. Then with your sales team, you make sure that they have a look at those, get on the system, use it a bit, see whether they see themselves using it. That's important for two reasons. Well, they can judge also whether they'd use it. And secondly, you involve them, which creates buy-in, which in the long run is priceless. Yeah. It's not you forcing something on them. They've chosen it with you. And then third, and that's a, a really hard thing, and that's actually, we, we tried to get our customers also to a good level there, but still, and you can only guide people so far, is really sitting together with your team and figuring how you're going to use the CRM together. And it's these really simple discussions like, okay, how does our sales process look? What do the different stages of the sales process mean? So that people also put an opportunity in that stage at the same moment. It's about how we're going to, which fields are we going to use? How are we going to fill these out? When do we create a lead? How do we pick it up? Mm-hmm. What sort of things do we use to follow the follow them up? It's these simple discussions because you can get a CRM and teach everyone how it works, but it can be used in many ways. And if everybody then finds their own way of using it, then very quickly in in every little corner of the CRM, things are are done in a different way. And that makes that data is a chaos that the one person does not know why the other person put in something like that, which means that collaboration does not exist anymore, that you cannot pull reports across uh, different team members because everything means something else. And then very quickly also, you you can see that things go in decay and uh, the whole CRM implementation starts failing. And then people go into the cycle again and look for another one, which is not a great experience. So really figuring out how you're going to use the CRM and getting your team's input, but also the process of how we're creating or inputting data and managing the data so it's all the same. Yeah, yeah. It's really about aligning your processes, the way you see them, aligning on that as a team and then it's okay and then we do it like that with the crm and it's not a very complicated discussion and you can just make a simple google doc in which you say this is how we discussed it and then new new team members you can also show them like this is how we do things yeah but it makes your team so much more effective in the long run i've seen it with many companies 
uh, going from no system, just whatever everybody does something, to then building a system and then really speeding up. What's some of the value? What are the results that you see with your customers and clients once they're using Salesflare regularly? I think the core value is in better follow-up. Like, like you said, something like 80% is yeah. lost of deals. It's maybe a lot, but I do see that a lot of customers lose a lot of deals initially. I had one customer telling me that with three salespeople, they now earn a million more a year just because of decent follow-up. And that was also the, the main value we saw in using our system. It's really about making sure that you follow up at the right time is super important you still know the whole context and you also just don't forget because following up at the right time is already a, a first world problem <laughs> yeah yeah many salespeople just forget forget the follow-up altogether and that's, that's oh. really really cool i on a regular basis when i'm in sales conversations where i'm the lead and i'm not ready to buy, I will ask people to follow up and I'm going to say 1% of those people do ever. Never mind when I ask them to ever. And I'm pretty honest. Like I'll be like, look, I'm not buying now or ever, or I'm interested, but I'm not ready. So let's chat in X amount of time. But I put it on them to follow up because that's for me. I want to see how much do they want my business. It's true. Actually, I thinking about that. I only know two salespeople who've followed me up properly in the past few years and they really stand out because none of the others makes me even feel like a human being or even follows up at the right times and still knows what we discussed and and these kind of things yeah yeah well and that's what i like about salesflare just from what i've seen at a, a top level i'm gonna have to play with it a little bit more but it interacts the interface like it feels human and fun to use and like it can really be a value add to building the relationship and not just a number of the next person that you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, that's what we try to do. Yeah. A part of it is in the user themselves also, of course, just the way you approach things. If you can take every new conversation thinking like, I'm going to meet a new person, it's this person, it's Emmy, and really focus on that instead of just saying, oh, next call or something. Right. That also completely changes things. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know you have a really cool offer for our listeners too, now that they're super excited about CRMs and they see the value. So can you share what that is a little bit? Currently, we actually have a big discount. I don't know when this episode is coming out, but we have an, uh, an end of year discount going on now, which is up, up to 50% discount on, the, on different plans. Just go to our website and check out the pricing page and you'll see what's going on. And I think it's 20% on the growth plan, 30% on pro and 50% on enterprise. Okay. Awesome, which is really a great way to get started and get your feet wet into Salesflare. So I am curious too, I want to talk about leadership a little bit because I had asked, you know, when I do our intake form, what are some of the characteristics? And the answer that you gave really touched me just because it aligns so much with what I believe leadership is. And you had said that it's not so much about making the great decisions, but creating an environment for others to make great decisions. Where do you feel like, or how do you feel like you're creating that environment so other people feel like they can make, like they have the opportunity and the ability? What are some of the the key ways to do that? That's a very hard thing. And I wouldn't say I'm uh, completely perfect at doing this, but we've made a, a lot of progress. 
First of all, it's creating a good team atmosphere where you can treat each other like human beings, where you don't have to shield off your whole life and all that, where you can basically treat each other as friends because that's the next level. Then you can also tell the truth to each other like real friends do. Mm -hmm. You can have like open conversations, not this sort of, I was a consultant in the past and I worked with some companies where you were like in the very opposite situation where nobody knew anything about anyone and conversations would be very like people would always be on the defense. It's very hard to get anywhere in that sort of situation. So we try to do something. There's actually a great book about it, Radical Candor, mm -hmm. that I, I love to read. We try to do that sort of thing. So to be very open, but based on a sort of relationship of trust. But that's only part of the, the equation, I would say. Then, of course, it's good to create space for my colleagues to say things. I don't want to make all the decisions and I don't want to find out, well, tell them all the things that are wrong. It's good that they actually come with this kind of stuff. So when that happens and we have some uh, a team that is, that is pretty good at it, then it's a matter of respecting things, actually doing something with it. Because if you, you just say like, yes, and you all come with the issues and, but then when they say something, you do nothing with it, then it's not going to happen ever again. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of nurturing that and making sure that when you help them in making a decision, you explain why, how the decision was made. So actually the next time, they can make the decision themselves. Or maybe the, the, the third time or the fourth time, it doesn't matter too much. But they can start seeing why things are done a certain way and that it's not just because Jeroen said so or something. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like you get a, a much better buy-in with your team because you're explaining the why? Yes. Although it, it does create a sort of, it's a delicate thing to manage, but when people are really bought in and they start making their own decisions and feel empowered and stuff, how can I say? There's a, a delicate balance there still to managing that because they still need to buy into the overall vision, which generally works and not just their own view, which de is detached from that, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Am I getting abstract? Yeah. <laughs> sense to me and hopefully to all of our listeners too where it's really like having people understand not what they're doing but what's happening and why that works and what the gain is from that yeah yeah and forming a sort of a vision together partly without it becoming something where everybody just does their own thing right <laughs> right so it sounds like for you it's really about being very cohesive and fluid in your team building and being supportive of everybody too. Yeah. And communicating a lot. And we, we try to focus on a lot, lot on that two weeks ago at one-on-ones again. And we talked a lot of, a lot about little communication issues and how we can solve them because that's really an important thing. If you want to have a team run well, like I, I talked earlier about discussing uh, how you're going to do your sales just this kind of things, really sitting together with the team, discussing how you're going to do things and making sure that anytime something is decided or so, people know about it, people know why there's no, we work a lot on that. Which is what's going to build a really strong business and company for you if everybody's on the same page. Yeah. And uh, constantly because things change all the time. <laughs> right. 
Yorin, this has been amazing. And I'm so super excited that we've had the opportunity to connect, share with everybody where they can connect with you and how to find Salesflare. Yeah, Salesflare is easy. It's on salesflare.com. So Flare is F-L-A-R-E and sales is just sales. You can uh, find out more about the software there. You can check out our blog and uh, everything is there. And if you want to connect with me, uh, LinkedIn is the best place. You can find me uh, using my name. I'm sure you'll find it on the episode. It's Jeroen Kortad. Yep. And there's only one, one of us uh, out there. So uh, if you'll find me, you can connect with me. Please do include a personal message because otherwise I will have to assume it's spam. But if you include a personal message, I'll certainly connect with you and we can have a chat. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And we'll get all the links, et cetera, in the show notes too. So people can take advantage of your very generous offer. So. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. This is fun. Yeah. Yeah. And for everybody who's listening, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 